Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha. And today we'll be talking about uh, Edward Norton's film, Motherless Brooklyn, as well as the premiere of Apple TV Plus and the proliferation of streaming services. We'll also have an interview with one of Kyle's friends, Ryan, who's a game designer at a mobile gaming company called Jam City in San Francisco. But before we get to all that, how you been, man? Uh, pretty good. This week was um, pretty busy for me, um, but it's the weekend now, and it's nice to kind of relax and do nothing. A lot of the times, the yeah. weekends come, and you always want to plan something with friends or um, significant others or whatever, but this weekend for me, it was kind of, there's nothing on my schedule, so I'm just going to do nothing. Yeah, and I know you went home. How was how was hanging with your family? Yeah, so that was cool. Um, went to go visit my parents. They are building a house, and I kind of talked to them more about what they were doing with their house and kind of their vision for that. And um, again, my my dad wants me to install all these smart home things in the home, <laughs> which we'll see if he actually uses them but like he needs your help installing them like he's pretty much just tasked me with hey i i, I want one of those doorbells where i can see people standing <laughs> outside my door or i want to be able to tell um or control the lights like from my phone and all this stuff so okay. he just tells you what he wants and then you create the vision right exactly are you charging him for it <laughs> <laughs> um i thought about it but um I don't know. Probably not. Soon, yeah. who knows who house whose house that will be in you know ten fifteen years. <laughs> Thinking ahead, I like Long it. Long term plan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you been watching anything new lately? Nothing new. Well, new as in show new, but um, Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime season two just came out on Friday, November mm-hmm. first. So I watched the first two episodes of that. Um, it's a lot slower of a pace than season one. Season one was very gripping, like even from the opening mm-hmm. scene, um, where this one, I was kind of pausing it and saying, well, how much time is left? And it's like, oh, 30 minutes. And then I pause it again. How much time is left? 15 minutes. It, it just seemed um, like it lasted a lot longer than the runtime. Yeah. What about you? Are you still doing your um, Survivor? Yeah, I mean, Survivor, I, I've been hooked now. I know we talked about it last week, but I was telling Shan today, like, I, I wish there was Survivor more than every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so we've been doing that. Um, and then yesterday, actually, we started Barry, which I know you recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed it. So far, I've only gotten through one episode. Um, really digestible episodes. I didn't realize there were only 30 minutes, where HBO usually is, like, hour-long shows. Right. Um I thought it was hilarious, though, like, <laughs> just the, like, incredulous looks on Bill Hader's face as he, like, encounters this acting troupe for the first time, and, like, mm-hmm. um, and then they, like, really cranked up the action um, when it came time to, like, portray him as this hitman, right? Um, so I, I enjoyed the first episode. We'll probably continue watching. Um, yeah, I think. But it, it, it was kind of a toss-up between that and Watchmen, but I think we made a good choice. Right. And, and. You've met Noho Hank, right? <laughs> yeah, I think he's I one have. of my favorite characters on TV right now. Yeah, all the all the Chechen guys and their 
mannerisms and just like the the accent and the way they i, I don't know it's it's really intriguing so far mm-hmm. but um yeah and then sorry go ahead no go ahead <clears throat> and then i think it was like tuesday we watched this movie on amazon prime called jungle um i don't know if you've heard of it no. but uh it's it stars daniel radcliffe and it's about this real life account of this like israeli not like an explorer he's more of like uh he graduates or he uh so in israel they like have like a three-year like required stint in the army um and so like after he gets out he wants to like travel the world and part of his trips takes him to the amazon Mm. and it's about this real life account of this guy named yossi ginsburg i think and him going into the jungle with this like tour guide who's trying to take them like off the beaten path but then they like start to learn more about how like kind of crazy this guy is and then they get stranded in the jungle um and it's kind of a it's a good survival movie if you guys are into it it's not the greatest movie but it was like a good um it was a good like easy watch you know right um but yeah that's been my week so far cool and we both saw motherless brooklyn which again is what we're talking about this weekend so i guess we'll jump right into that um so motherless brooklyn is a detective story based on the 1999 novel the same name by jonathan lethem um of course rather than following the blueprint of the book which takes place in 1999 also Mm -hmm. um director and main lead edward norton who goes back about half a century to the 1950s. Um, so I guess before we get into the movie, how was your um, theater experience? Any interruptions? Um, yeah, I mean, no no interruptions. Um, it was kind of a slightly older crowd, uh, and they were pretty pretty well-mannered. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I didn't realize that the book was based in like the late 1990s but i think they did a good job of capturing the sort of like 1950s noir detective movie mm-hmm. um overall um you know I, I thought the the plot didn't really necessarily follow a conventional arc um i don't really want to give away too much about the film for those who are still planning on going to see it but i didn't really feel like there was like a strong like climax or resolution right and uh it tended to drag a little bit but i thought edward norton's character um so for those who haven't seen trailers or anything or haven't seen the movie yet edward norton plays a member of this private investigative agency and uh he also is afflicted with tourette's and that plays a pretty big role in the movie um and i thought his performance was pretty good and the whole like dynamic of the tourette's was really endearing um and injected like some humor into the to the film um but what what were your thoughts well it was interesting because it this was obviously a time before um we know today what tourette syndrome is they never mm-hmm. referenced tourette's in the actual movie they just kind of um well he talks about how he thinks his head's full of glass and he can't focus and everything has to be in line and um but yeah so like you said he is part of this detective agency run by this man named Frank Minna, who is Bruce Willis. And Frank kind of took these, the whole operation is run by these orphans who Frank took in under his wing when he was, when they were younger. And Ed Norton plays 
Lionel Esrog, I think is how you pronounce his last name. So he's one of mm-hmm. Minna's men, um, again, who suffers with Tourette's, but also has like this crazy photographic memory and he can just like remember everything that's said and um, what he's seen. And my initial thoughts was that the film the film has a lot to say about discrimination and inequality and while the central detective story i think is pretty intriguing i think the movie all too often gets kind of sidetracked down um i want to call them like narrative cul-de-sacs like the movie mm-hmm. is 144 minutes and it has i think some serious pacing issues which kind of made it a little frustrating for me to watch um which also you know it's light on action to be honest it's light on tension which sometimes can be a recipe for um a little bit of a boring movie pretty pretty dull movie yeah yeah but i think it's the passion behind it i think it's smartly done and for those reasons i think it's um interesting to watch i learned a lot um and yeah i would recommend it but if again it has some of those pacing issues which i think could be frustrating to people yeah i think like you said as far as narrative cul-de-sacs go i think it did try to like kind of touch on a little bit too much like whether it was um like it could have been a profile completely about his tourettes and that would have been one thing um it could have been just sort of a private eye investigative movie um and then they also threw in sort of like racial discrimination at like the governmental level and then this sort of like power and calling things for the way that they are mm-hmm. um yeah i guess in in obviously there were the pacing issues but i think from a cinema cinematographic is that even is that even a word <laughs> from the perspective of like cinematography i think it was lacking kind of a consistent style um mm-hmm. you know there wasn't really some of the cinematography was interesting, but I felt like it maybe it was a bit borrowed or um, like overused. You know, like great directors, you recognize them for the nuance of their like cinematography and their style. And, you know, it's almost like a signature that, that comes with the movie or not even a signature, like a watermark. You just like know that that person's influence is behind, behind the film. And I think this is only Edward Norton's like second um, billing as a director. Um, and I think... He, like he hasn't made a statement as to like what his signature is, you know? Right. And I think that it also, the movie does suffer a bit from having such an unrelenting one note bully as its villain, um, Mm -hmm. which is this Moses Randolph character played by um, Alec Baldwin. And, and it's so Moses Randolph, which is, disguised as a pseudonym for Robert Moses, who is considered the master builder of modern New York. Um, Mm. He pretty much ripped out entire neighborhoods to make way for bridges and highways um, that actually serve the city most of today. And Moses was certainly a visionary, um, of course, in real life, but he had such a strong disdain, I was reading, for minorities and the poor. And you know, he kind of used this infrastructure as a form of racism, which I guess they try to hit really hard um, in this movie. Yeah. And Alec Baldwin, um, it's very clear that he kind of portrays his Saturday Night Live Donald Trump type of caricature to kind of fill in the shoes of this Moses character. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. Like, there were definitely certain... 
elements of the mannerisms that he does using i mean like he's he's done that impression so many times that like it's almost i feel like he's almost permanently affected the the public image that he has because i think people will forever kind of associate him with that impression but there were obvious mannerisms like the use of the hands and like the structure of the mouth and lips when you're talking that like and even just his like kind of dominating figure and how he would like come in and like demand things in a room and um yeah i, I felt like it was a pretty obvious um use of that sort of archetype or caricature um that i thought was a little weird i think they did a good job of uh sort of characterizing him as a visionary um there was a point where so he's obviously trying to kind of like rip out these slums to create these public parks or these um new like buildings or communities things like that and he told this story about how when central park was first proposed like there were some of these protests and it was like really up to this guy who had the vision for central park to like fight through it all and even though it might be ugly um you know he knew it was like best but i think that was a little almost like damning of his character too um yeah and it seems like throughout the movie as it is kind of a detective or murder mystery type thing um he lionel again the main character runs into all these different people whether it's um you know william defoe or um the the daughter of the club owner and it seems like their conversations and their scenes mm-hmm. like they they have a conversation and the information that you get from that scene is just enough detail to like kind of prolong the plot along. So it kind of yeah. makes the feel the film kind of feel like contrived, like where these conversations are just simply taking characters to the next story beat rather than actually playing out more of like an arc, like you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like this might be the fault of um, Norton's direction. But I felt like a lot of the characters seemed pretty flat. Um, a lot of the acting just didn't, didn't seem very well directed or like um, natural. You know, I think it's really up to the director to bring that out of the people cast in a film. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was definitely lacking that like strong arc. Like I said, like when the movie ended, I was kind of just like sitting there, like that's it, like that was weird it seemed like this really like you said this two-hour struggle of like all this like metering detective work and like uncovering different details and then it just kind of ended um Mm -hmm. and then there there were like some cheesy parts um like i feel like there were a bunch of like protests or public gatherings where like edward norton was like dressed all conspicuously like a private eye and then like every fringe character is like in the wings like doing something he's like glancing over at one character and they're having a conversation he glances over at the next character Mm -hmm. there were like four instances of that that i was like it's like an overused vehicle Mm -hmm. um and then they they, like they seem to smoke a lot of weed too like everybody was smoking weed in this movie did you notice that too yeah i guess he says that weed kind of helps with his brain to calm down but yeah the tourettes the tourettes yeah and and I guess speaking about the Tourette's, at, at first, seeing the trailer, I was a little concerned about how much that would affect the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Like, man, is this guy going to be screaming out, like, random, like, words and phrases throughout the entire entire movie? And I think it was done pretty well. I never, like, found myself getting too, like, frustrated with his tics, and most of the time they were pretty funny. 
Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely instances where people are portraying people with mental illness where it can be, like, cringy. Like, they maybe focus on something that's, like, not... I don't know. Like, I never felt like I was, like, embarrassed for him while he was up there doing it, right? And they, mm -hmm. they wove in a lot of his tics well into the dialogue. Um, but, like, I really don't... I've never, like, met somebody with Tourette's um, or really had an understanding of, like, what it means. So I'd be interested to see, like, how realistic it is. Right. Um, or if you know that community um, feels like it was a pretty accurate portrayal but um, they never really seem to make it feel like a uh, like a like a disability or like a like it wasn't like a negative thing mm -hmm. uh, it seemed like for him it enabled him to like memorize conversations um, so throughout this we see that he has sort of this like um, not photographic memory but he just like doesn't let things go um, and he can kind of like recite back instances that, that he's been encountered, like he's encountered. Mm -hmm. um, and so it made him seem more like powerful than anything. Right. Um, and I think he talks about how Frank kind of taught him to use his mind for, for the good investigative work that they were doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, overall, like I feel like some of the characters are kind of flat um the the acting wasn't great but like overall i like i enjoyed it at the end of the movie i was like that was that was cool like if anything <laughs> mainly for like his tics and um i've always been a fan of kind of the detective work um you know whether it's like telling people or staking people out right things like that so um yeah. i enjoyed it yeah and i would say again um closing remarks in in spite of the pacing issues and if you I think pointless subplots, motherless Brooklyn definitely features an intriguing central mystery, um, investigated kind of like by this, um, quote unquote gumshoe that they refer to him like throughout the film and mm -hmm. kind of jumping back to the cinematography. I kind of got a few shades of like who framed Roger rabbit <laughs> yeah. in the movie. Um, but again, um, at times, you know, it feels a little bit less like a detective story and more like a history lesson a lot of the times, like with the whole mm -hmm. New York um, development and all that stuff. But the period setting looked awesome. It was great. Um, Edward Norton did a really great job portraying this, um, portraying this character and kind of bringing like a true kind of humanity to the role of Lionel. And again, I think the film at its best is when he's actually doing detective work or mm -hmm. um, I really enjoyed when he was going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Alec Baldwin um, as Moses Randolph. Yeah, I think that was probably the best scene in the whole film. Um, but yeah, I think like like you said, despite the pacing issues, a really stellar cast like Edward Norton, Bruce Willis, Alec Baldwin, Willem Dafoe also makes an appearance. Um, but I thought it had an interesting message about just like power, what power is in terms of, as Alec Baldwin phrases it, just being able to do the things you want without somebody being able to stop you and the places that power resides where it might be a seemingly like innocuous place that power resides but um, nonetheless it affects people yeah and definitely that's something that rings true to uh, today's culture and people should probably pay more attention to that yep so uh motherless brooklyn out now uh Give it a shot if you're into detective films. <laughs> yes.
Um, so with that, we'll move to the next topic. Um, so Friday, November 1st, uh, saw the premiere of the newest streaming service and a litany of many in Apple TV+. Plus. Um, so Apple TV+, Plus um, obviously now is its own streaming service. Apple's charging $5 a month for a lot of original content, um, including uh, a couple of I mean, you've probably seen the commercials for a lot of the content that's being released over the past couple of weeks, um, whether it's the show Morning Show starring Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, um, the sh like sort of futuristic tribal sci-fi saga C starring Jason Momoa, um, even an M. Night Shyamalan horror series called Servant. Um, now, this is really kind of... We, we've seen a... a pretty large proliferation of streaming services. Um, but Kyle, what are your thoughts on the release of Apple TV Plus? Yeah, so at first, when it was first announced, I was a little confused about what it was. Um, I knew that it had a lot of original content, and then I saw the price point of four ninety nine a month, and I figured, well, um, either it's not a whole lot of content or it's not going to stay at four ninety nine for very long and sure like where you have netflix and you have um hulu and even amazon prime you have a few of like their their service originals so netflix has its netflix originals and so on and so forth and i thought well does that mean that apple tv will have its own originals plus shows just right. like regular shows but it seems like um it's definitely going to be just for apple plus restrictive shows which i think is is fine i don't know they look they look great i haven't seen it yet i haven't bought an apple tv plus yet but it seems like um the morning show like you said with reese witherspoon and jennifer aniston looks really good jason momoa's c uh looks really good and i was a little bit interested in um that the the, uh, the dickinson show which is kind of Emily Dickinson's coming of age story. Sure. Look kind of cool. Yeah. So um, I haven't gotten a chance to check it out either, but I have um, done a little bit just to see how people are reacting to the premiere. Um, so, interesting fact about Morning Show it's actually been um, kind of not very well received in terms of the show itself, but has been coming in at a whopping $15 million in production costs per episode. Mm -hmm. um, We've also kind of seen uh, C been getting some lackluster reviews. Um, and overall, just the reviews for Apple TV Plus haven't been stellar. Um, but obviously, Apple TV Plus is not the first um, streaming service that we've seen these big companies kind of uh, promote their own content with. Um, and it's really been an explosion over the past couple years of all these different streaming services vying for people's um, money in an effort for people to, you know, kind of get behind more of a cable cutter uh, trend and really stick to um, streaming services as the, the source for their for their media. Um, now, this is, to me, I would say this is a frustrating problem for me. Um, there was a Deloitte survey that was done that shows that about 70% of Americans still pay for TV and that 60% of them have at least one streaming service. But of that sample that was surveyed, uh, nearly half of them express frustration by the growing number of these services. Um, I don't know. How do, how do you feel about this explosion, Kyle? Well, um, 
going back a little bit, I did want to mention that with Apple TV, um, mm-hmm. I think they're going to have one of the biggest challenges among any of these new streaming services because it seems like it often takes a platform a while to discover what content really works with its audience. And sure. with it not having a catalog of older shows, um, if these originals flop, there's not much for Apple TV to like to hold on to. Um, but again, it's if you have a new iPhone or if you bought a new um, Mac computer, I think even if you buy the new Apple TV, you get Apple TV Plus free for a whole year. Um, okay. Yeah, but, I mm-hmm. I can see what you're saying about Apple not really having much to fall back on if it doesn't really land with audiences. Um, and that's actually something that people who have been observing this like streaming service market uh, have kind of echoed as well. So um, NPR released an article earlier this year about this kind of proliferation. Um, and they spoke to this venture capitalist, Mark Suster, who believed that this like proliferation of streaming services is a bit like the proliferation of the internet. You saw all these companies kind of moving early on um, and kind of putting their hand into the pot and trying to see whether or not they could make, um, I guess, like a, like a flourishing business out of the internet. Um, but as, you know, the, the big players sort of made it into the market, you saw a lot of companies kind of um, move away from that and you saw really big players dominate. Um, so I think it's going to be really sort of like a content war and whichever ones... Um, you know, whichever networks have the most engaging or promising content are going to be the ones that survive. But obviously, all the different streaming services have so much original content. Um, you know, obviously, Netflix has, um, they've been releasing films as well as series. So you've obviously got things like Stranger Things. Um, I think Roma, which was released on Netflix last year, was a big one, obviously, vying for uh, Best Picture. Um, you've got Hulu, who, of course, has like Handmaid's Tale, which is big. Amazon Prime Video, of course, recently announced that they've invested um, over $1 billion in a new Lord of the Rings series. Obviously, Disney Plus is going to have plenty of original content. So with all of these um, these streaming services, you know, whether it's Netflix, Hulu, Prime Video, Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus, uh, HBO obviously has tons of content. Showtime, say you want to throw ESPN Plus in there. Um, eventually that stuff starts to add up. And if you're subscribing to all of those, um, you know, you're paying like upwards of $80 a month, um, you know, not even on top of whatever you're paying for maybe, say you've got YouTube TV because you're cutting um, traditional cable or you're paying for internet. Um, so most people are probably spending, if they're, um, you know, on all these networks, about 1000 to $2,000 a year on their entertainment, essentially. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a lot. And again, there's... There's more streaming services coming out, um, even beyond Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus. There's, um, I think you kind of mentioned it before, HBO is coming out with their new, it's called HBO Max, where this is going to be $15 a month. I think it's launching in May of 2020. Mm-hmm. So it's subscribers who get HBO through, um, I think it's AT&T and, cu- and customers of the existing platform HBO you get this expansive library of just premium cable networks and and Mm -hmm. original content there. So, um, of course, you'll get, like, all 
HBO stuff, all TNT, TBS, True TV, CNN documentaries. It's all based off of Warner Media outlets because that's all pretty much who acquired HBO. Right. Um, but just with the growing the growing market and this digital era, I guess you can call it, everything is becoming about mobile and ease of access with things. So like banks, video games, shopping services, pretty much anything. Um, people want consumers to be able to access their products anywhere at any time. And for many people, the ability to stream their favorite shows or movies um, sounds awesome. But again, we're getting to this point where there's either too much content that you can't watch at all, or again, it's going to start breaking the bank, costing you over a hundred dollars a month to not even be able to watch 25% of the content you have. So sure. at what point, like you said, does, does subscribing to all these things start to burn someone out? Yeah. And what we've seen a lot of like industry experts saying is that like <laughs> not being super sympathetic to the viewer, but essentially it's like, well, it's your choice, what you choose to subscribe to or like which, uh, which services content you're enjoying but like if you're somebody that enjoys like a diverse range of content that's not necessarily the fairest way to i guess spirit away concerns about you know the just breadth of all these streaming services and like you said there's more coming out um and if this truly is a content war kyle you know if people are competing to have the best content so that when there's just a few players that remain when the dust settles who do you is really winning that race, that like content war? I definitely say Netflix. Um, okay. They're definitely the largest streaming house out there. Um, mm -hmm. They just have so much content and so much good content. Um, I have I have Hulu, I have Amazon Prime, I have Netflix, I have HBO. Um, I tend most of my content either comes from a few hbo shows and the rest probably 80 percent of it is netflix um i don't know where they're getting the talent from i guess just with the the money that they're they're able to shell out it's now i think the standard netflix subscription is like 12.99 a month yeah i think it's it's anywhere from nine dollars to 16 dollars a month yeah so I would say Netflix, and they even picked up um, the the people from Game of Thrones. The, oh yeah, what are they called? The, um, David Benioff and DB Weiss. Yeah, the double D's. D and D. Yeah, the double D's. <laughs> um, I guess they were gonna do that Star Wars thing, and then that didn't work out. And now they, I saw an article where Netflix picked them up to do a show for like three hundred million dollars something crazy mm -hmm. it's like well first of all i don't know if i would trust those guys with making new content they don't <laughs> they don't seem to do pretty well without um original source material but yeah good <laughs> no i mean we saw how the last season of game of thrones turned out yeah but so I, I guess mm -hmm. sorry go ahead no, i was gonna say um i guess moving i guess moving on we're if you're looking to subscribe or to watch these shows it really comes down to um how you plan to watch your television but i guess before we get there um you had a comment oh no i was just gonna offer my opinion 
about who is winning the content war. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like Netflix, you're right. They definitely have like a first mover's advantage and they have tons of content. Um, I could see Disney just with, you know, the sheer economy of Disney behind it, like having a really strong offering, um, not only because of their kind of the power of Disney, um, the price that they come at is pretty reasonable at $7 a month, um, but they also own the rights to a lot of... Uh, a lot of intellectual property that has really strong fan bases so whether that's star wars obviously has very fervent fan base um marvel now of course is a huge following and not to mention all of the existing disney content that's out there that people are going to want whether it's like for their kids or the family Mm -hmm. um so i think um disney could be making some moves um as far as who stands among I guess like the remaining when it's all said and done. Well, you can also subscribe annually for the Disney Plus one, which makes it a little bit cheaper. And I think you can even right. you can even bundle um, Disney with ESPN and Hulu. Is that right? Also, uh, I think yeah, I think you might be right about that. Yeah, um, instead of like six ninety nine a month, I think I saw it was like thirteen or fourteen dollars a month, where you get Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu. Which isn't a bad right. a bad deal. You're kind of bundling your streaming services at that point. Yeah, so we've we've definitely seen, like you said, this kind of this proliferation of these streaming services. Um, while it might be frustrating, just in terms of the growing number of services or the amount that you're paying, um, I did see some heartwarming news, or I guess not heartwarming, but hopeful news about the future of streaming. So, NBC Universal is obviously coming out with their own streaming service called Peacock in April 2020. And there have been recent reports that they might actually be considering making it a free streaming service. Um, so not relying on a subscription cost and relying more on an ad-based, um, more like ad revenue-based business model. Um, so there is there is hope for the future of streaming. Yeah, and we've had um, actually a few listener feedbacks regarding kind of like this um, bolstering of streaming services and content in general. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen people... Um, even ask me knowing that I do the podcast or maybe just in general conversation, they, they say, well, they ask me pretty much with all the content going on out there with all the streaming services, how do I know which ones to subscribe to? And, um, how do I, how do I make it not as overwhelming? So, um, I guess we could take this time to maybe answer some of those questions. Sure. How do you, how do you do that? (laughs) Yeah. So pretty much for me is start by tracking kind of your viewing so ask yourself like what tv shows channels and even platforms do you actually use the most Um, Mm -hmm. like um, what broadcast channels services um, do i like to watch the most like i said netflix and hbo were pretty big Um, and i like to tell people you want to really fill it like a bookshelf with books that you might read so don't crowd right. like your media diet with random services either so sure big question that i've also been kind of going again with my parents and how they're building this house and it's kind of in a remote area so cable or satellite television may not be the best alternative for them where do you do you need cable television that's that's the first question and and i don't think many people do I, I have it with my with my apartment because it comes with it and I think a lot of people keep it mostly for ready access to like live events and um, sure maybe like 
breaking news or something like that. But if you feel like you don't need those, then maybe start by um, cutting the cord. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely an advocate for cable cutting. Um, it took me and Shannon a while to really get behind the movement. Um, so we got rid of cable probably about a year ago, and we've been going with YouTube TV. Um, obviously, a lot of these streaming services might be enough for your entertainment needs, especially it, it depends on how much you're watching shows or how much free time you have. But um, YouTube TV, I feel like, is a viable option for anybody that still has cable. Um, it's practically half the cost of most um, cable companies. Uh, it has, especially if you are like into sports, it has tons of sports channels. Um, it is missing a few of the mainstream ones like MTV and things like that, but that's definitely helped. Um, also, another way to support streaming habits or I guess to stay on top of the things um, that you you enjoy watching, like I'd recommend just getting an Amazon Prime account. So obviously, Amazon Prime, with the overall membership, you get access to things like Prime Video for free. Um, also, if you're a gamer, um, there are obviously some benefits on Twitch's streaming platform to having an Amazon Prime account, whether it's like um, free subs or things like that. Um, so I'd start there. And then for me, like the cost of, of my streaming habit is somewhat subsidized by my parents, right? Um, so I'm still using like my parents' Netflix account. Um, while I like to consider myself a grown independent man, <laughs> I'm still relying on them for like two streaming services. Um, and then in, in there, when there are instances when you can share a subscription with somebody, that's really helpful as well. So um, Shannon and I share a Hulu subscription with Sam Stedman, who was actually on the show a couple episodes ago. Um, and we also have plans to share a Disney Plus membership um, with some folks as well. So uh, the more the merrier, um, more streaming and content to go around. Um, but there are definitely ways that you can support your streaming habit without, like I said, paying 100 to $150 a month in streaming subscription costs where it could be being used somewhere else. Right, and some platforms may only have a few series you actually enjoy so it may make sense to subscribe only when those shows have fresh episodes um, exactly so you don't have to subscribe for the whole year just you know sign up for a month-long binge do your thing and then either pause your subscription i actually did that when i have uh, youtube tv so where i lived before um, i use youtube youtube tv um the entire time that i moved to where i am now and i just paused my account um, mm -hmm. I didn't cancel my membership because, again, once I move from here, then I'm going to most likely get YouTube TV again, and I didn't want to have to erase like my, my DVR recordings or right. if there's a price increase, I don't get affected by that as well. Sure. Yeah, and so that's definitely a phenomenon. You see more people like opening and canceling subscriptions <laughs> like mm -hmm. at the event of like a premiere of a show or a new season, things like that. Um, but I wanted to share an interesting effect of this, like you said, kind of proliferation or um, explosion of streaming services. But for the first time in, I think, about five years, this year, privacy or uh, piracy of movies and TV online has actually been grow um, has actually been growing, which is kind of flies in the face of a recent trend, um, but basically shows how people feel about all these streaming services that some people would rather risk, um, you know, the penalty of a fine or even prison time just to avoid paying, shelling out a few dollars for, for a Netflix or an HBO go or something like that. Jeez. That reminds me of like 
you remember when we were younger and you would watch a movie and before the movie started it had like the FBI warning? Yeah. And I was like, if you distribute this, you could serve up to like five years in jail. And that was always spooky. Yeah, I mean, I, I always that always struck me as well. I don't think I've ever heard of an instance of like a major film piracy bust where they take off uh, like six computer hackers with hoods over their heads for pirating a bunch of movies. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember the days obviously of watching somebody's like shaky like film of a, a movie they recorded in the, in the movie theater with like the laughter of the theater in the background or um, yeah. So it's an interesting effect of the, of the streaming service boom. Right. And then I don't know if you wanted to get into um, like for us, the pricing that we pay per month. Um, yeah. Did you have some numbers there for how much you pay for content? For sure. So like I said, uh, I guess the cost of Netflix and HBO go are kind of subsidized by my parents. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but Hulu we're paying about $12 a month. Amazon Prime for me, that's like $99 a year, or I think it went up to like $120. Um, but let's call that $9 a month for the streaming service. Disney Plus, we're going to be paying as well. Um, don't know if I'll be going with Apple TV just because I haven't heard too many good things about the content there. Um, but overall, in addition to YouTube TV, which is about $50 a month and my like $90 internet bill, um, I'm paying about $180 a month when it comes to streaming services. Um, which, if you do the quick math, comes out to about $2,000 a year on just like entertainment costs. So obviously internet's used for other things, but for the most part, it's streaming or doing this with you <laughs> or playing games. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's like a decent chunk of the expenses that I pay on a normal, a normal basis, but um, you know, being out here in the Bay Area, obviously rent's high. Um, a large amount of our money goes towards that. So it just shows you the premium that people are willing to put on their entertainment, um, even in, in places where maybe it's not necessarily as cost-effective to do so. Or with the recent news that we've been seeing about how much millennials should be saving, uh, maybe like right. not doing enough to save. And they're like, eh, well, I'll watch another episode of Barry. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's... How about you? Yeah, so... Again, I'm a little bit fortunate where um, my rent, where I live now, includes cable and internet. Um, now, when I get my bill every month, it doesn't really include cable and internet, but they say this is how much it is, and then they kind of break down cable and internet and how it factors into the overall price, but it's it's not optional, so I have to have it, so I'm going to say it's included. Um, but for Hulu... Um, if you actually, I don't know if it's a, still a thing, but at one point, if you have Spotify premium, it includes Hulu. So I, if you don't have Hulu and you do have Spotify, check that out. Um, because I think Spotify is only like $10 a month. So you can get that music, um, love in your life plus Hulu combined, um, Amazon Prime I'd have like you said it's like a hundred bucks for the year and then I recently I've kind of been doing what you mentioned earlier kind of starting things using the free trial canceling them signing up again with a different email address free trial canceling them 
Um, but I think I will get Apple TV. I am looking to upgrade my Apple TV anyway. I have one of the original ones that first came out. So yeah, same. So once I, I think I'm gonna get the 4K one. And again, if you buy a new Apple product, you get Apple TV Plus for free for a whole year. So the cost of buying the new system, of course, will be a little bit more. But you get that Apple TV Plus uh, for free. So I don't know. Have the numbers broken down? I had them earlier. I think I'm paying maybe like eighty bucks a month for for content, which still is kind of right right around um, the lower end of what you'd be paying for cable TV anyway. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I guess when it comes down to the economics of it, it it is slightly more cost effective than cable, but it's just a lot to to manage, I guess. But that's how we do it. Um, with that, should we get to our interview with Ryan? Yep. Let's do it. On today's episode, we have a very special guest, um, Ryan, who is coming to us from the Bay Area as well with Misha, is a game designer at Jam City. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for being on with us. No problem. So with, um, I guess, as a game designer, could you kind of take us through what your day-to-day might be and kind of explain to someone who is listening who may not really understand that whole industry? Uh, yeah, of course. So a day-to-day for an average game designer is there's a lot of um, meetings for one. We have a lot to prepare for. Everything that you see in a game is carefully planned and executed. Everything has to go through rounds of approvals just to make sure that everything that you guys see in a game is at the best quality it can be. So a lot of day-to-days have to do with going back and forth between people, making sure that everything is just at an acceptable level and that we can get everything out on time. And so what is mainly getting like approved? Is it more so the content or is it... Like what? Uh, what do you specifically work on as a game designer? Um, so my role right now is I'm a lead. So a lot of what I do is kind of directing people who are doing content creation. So they'll take assets from, say, the art department or let's say an animation department and start weaving those together into um, a game. Essentially, they'll create levels. They'll create um, dialogue. They'll create the scenes there's a lot of small intricate things that are basically just woven together through people just trying to make sure that every little facet of the game is created and jam city is they mainly do mobile games is that correct yeah that's correct do you see or do you have any experience with how mobile game design differs from like your more traditional console or PC game design? So I guess the way I I understand uh, AAA and a lot of the other console games, let's say, um, before before they had just, when they had just the discs and not very many online updates, a lot of the games were having to do with more crunch, which is just kind of just expedited work having to go into six six day weeks long hours just trying to make sure that they can get everything on time um 
with mobile games, it's a little bit different. Uh, there is crunch. I think it, with every studio, there's crunch. But with mobile games, um, your crunch is more of a week on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, depending on whenever you guys do updates. So what was the last game that you worked on? Um, the last game I worked on was uh, Harry Potter uh, Hogwarts Mystery. Misha, have you played that yet? No, I haven't. Um, I don't play too many mobile games. Is uh, Are you a fan of the Harry Potter series? Uh, yeah, I kind of grew up with those, um, reading all the books, going to see the movies. Sure. And was there, as far as like gaming goes, is this something that you've always wanted to do? Or how did you like stumble upon this career? Um, or was it more intentional? Definitely, I've always uh, loved games. I've always played games growing up. That was a huge part of my childhood. Mm -hmm. um, I think going into the gaming industry was just kind of a little bit of luck just trying to find um, a career that I thought that I would be interested in. And so far, I loved everything about the gaming industry. It's pretty difficult. It's pretty, uh, pretty hard. There are some long hours, but everything about it is just great. Yeah, it doesn't quite feel like work when you feel really passionate about it that's awesome it's not something that i feel like a lot of people can achieve in in life to be really invested in a career like that um you mentioned your your love of video games early on like in your life was there like a certain game or a certain game franchise that you kind of remember as sparking your interest and like really propelling this this trajectory forward um, I think growing up, I played a lot of uh, StarCraft. StarCraft was probably one of the most uh, entertaining games to me at the time. Uh, um, for those of you who haven't played, it's a real-time strategy game. Um, you're moving, you create pieces, you start with a couple workers, you get some resources, and you basically just create an army to go fight someone else's army. Okay, so is it, I guess, maybe akin to... I've never played, but maybe like Age of Empires? It sounds kind yeah. of similar. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah I used to... They're both three-time strategy games. Yeah, that's awesome. So it seems like, in my experience with mobile games, um, at least the ones that I play, they are either free or they are maybe 99 cents up to 4.99, and they rely heavily on like in-game microtransactions. Is that something that you, as a game designer, embed into the game? Like you have, you design these, I guess transactions for the companies to make more money how does that really work um yeah a, a lot of games uh do provide uh, microtransactions for the game and this is just uh to provide um economy for the companies we this is uh when games are free to play there definitely is a uh, back end we there definitely is um a way for a, a game to make money there's also ads that people right. use that's also a big um revenue source for a lot of games um it's kind of like videos in that sense the more people that play more ad sense you can get as well hmm that's pretty interesting i figured all all mobile games were free and they relied heavily on the um on the microtransactions but ads i never th i never thought about that um, microtransactions uh definitely are a part of games it's kind of how it looks like the um the market for these type of games are just going towards um people are willing to pay money for smaller things a lot of people invest a lot into cosmetics like i used to play a lot of fortnite mm -hmm. and fortnite is very heavy into 
buying skins, buying uh, outfits, um, just all sorts of things. Wow. So did you have um, any difficulty transitioning from like growing up on a world of, of StarCraft to like the mobile platform or was it kind of more of an evolutionary step for you? Um, I think every job that you start um, has a little bit of a learning curve. You always got to figure out a little bit of how everything goes, what's your best, how you fit into that role and how you can best serve um, the company or whatever job you're doing. Right, right. And it definitely seems like in the past, I guess with any job, um, it's you're always worried about appealing to the widest audience possible that you have. And do you, do you see any popular trends driving the content of mobile games specifically today? Like what about mobile games is the main thing in trying to appeal to the, wide, the widest audience possible? Um, I think that intellectual properties have a big thing to do with games. Um, definitely games like Marvel, let's take for example. Um, they just released at E3 a Marvel game that's coming out on the console. Uh, that game, um, I believe, is... One, it looks great, but two, I think that game is also very heavily trying to appeal to the audience um, that is looking for Marvel now that it's kind of the gears are really turning for Marvel in the last couple of years. So I think now is a great time for them to start capitalizing on games. Right. In that instance. So is there anything you can tell us about the games that are being produced right now at Jam City or anything being released in the near future? Um, well, I think everyone should go check out the new Frozen game. Um, the new Frozen 2 movie, I think, is just releasing. Um, our game just released for that as well, and I think that will be a very cool thing for people to go check out. Nice. Very cool. And so, I guess, obviously, at the heart of games are gamers, right? And gamers usually have a lot to say. How does How does Jam City go about understanding what um, its customers want or maybe like predicting what it is that they want um how, how do they get that uh like user feedback uh could you repeat the question one more time sorry about that how how does jam city go about getting like feedback from fans on the things that they want or how do they go about like maybe predicting things that their audiences don't know they want yet um I think a lot of it has to do with just user feedback, um, just having to deal with, we have community specialists that deal with, that talk with the community, they uh, figure out kind of how everyone feels about certain things. We get user tickets all the time, people are writing in, letting us know what they think about. Um, there's user, there's tests that we, um, companies run, trying to figure out what's best that the users uh, enjoy. Sure. Um, and at work, like at, at Jam City, what, mm -hmm. uh, like on your best day at work, what, what are you doing? Is it working on games? Is it working cross departmentally? Like, what do you, what do you enjoy the most about working at Jam City? Um, I think my favorite part about working at Jam City is working with, uh, the different people. Everyone has a different outlook on games. Everyone here loves games so much that it's, 
it's refreshing knowing that there's so many people out there that enjoy games just as much as you do and that they're so excited to talk about them. Um, I think that's what makes every day at Jam City kind of more fun. Sure. And do they provide like a space for you guys to game while you work or are you guys usually like grinding pretty hard? How, like, what is the, the office culture like? Um, I mean, I feel like every game studio should have some games. Yeah. <laughs> we, have a few, we have a few game systems in the office. Um, most of them are in the, the kind of workroom area, I guess, like near right. the kitchen. Um, but I think everyone also plays a lot of mobile games. So I think that's also everyone at their desks sometimes will have a game or every once in a while will pop open the game during their break time, play some games. But for mm -hmm. most time, most of the time, uh, everyone's working on their own game. We all have a really big passion for the games that we work on. And we want to make sure that we provide a good game for everyone. <laughs> yeah, sure. I guess outside of the scope of your work at Jam City, do you ever work on games independently or stuff that you wanted to design on your own? Um, sometimes. Sometimes a lot of it is trying to figure out different things that would work well for existing games. I think that's something that sure a lot of people do. They want to, if they have, like, let's say they play Fortnite or PUBG, maybe they're thinking about, hey, this would be actually really cool for this game. Um, I think a lot of my time gets spent more on things like that, trying to figure out, like, oh, this would be a cool addition for this game. And you can write out, mm -hmm. like, design, specs, one-pagers, things like that. So from just kind of um, researching Jam City and looking at them over the past week, I've noticed they have a pretty impressive game roster. Um, can you kind of share a rough percentage of how much work is completed in-house versus outsourced? Um, I would say that most of everything is completed in-house. Uh, definitely there are a couple things that have to be outsourced, but Jam City for the most part is very hands-on. We're very making we're making sure that what we do has a very strong impact on the community, and that kind of gets lost when you do a lot of outsourced work. Sure. Is, uh, is there something that you... Obviously, it sounds like you're pretty... Um, like an active gamer, is there something that you're really into right now or that you've been grinding lately? New Call of Duty game just came out, and I've been playing a lot of that recently. That's okay. It's very yeah. reminiscent. COD Mobile. Just kidding. Yeah, that was a joke. Any 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 COD Mobile? You check that out? Uh, I've actually played a couple of games on that. It's actually really good. I was uh, very surprised by that. It was like I was worried a little bit how they were gonna take in the entire shooting aspect but they did a really good job with it sure and what are, you, what are your thoughts of playing the obviously like new modern warfare me and kyle have been playing a lot of it too mm -hmm. um i think they did a good job on it uh it's definitely i think group oriented it's definitely more fun playing in a group than we go in solo sure from yeah being... especially if you're playing gunfight mode and yeah, being, true. yeah being a game design yourself um do you kind of as you're playing games that aren't your own do you kind of see like through the lens of a, of a designer playing other people's games like oh i would have changed that i would have done that i would have done this better i would have done this i think it's more cinematography that bothers me i think hmm. when i see games that have like really bad cinematography for like especially dialogue since that's for a lot of games that's a really big aspect of the game i feel like right that bothers me. Actually, ha same thing happens with TV as well. No, I can I can definitely see where you're coming from. I feel like with 
um obviously new like technology games have become almost like films like i don't know if any of you have started to play the campaign for modern warfare but it's just like crazy well done in terms of the graphics and um i can definitely understand the kind of like disconnect when it's not like shot well um sorry go ahead yeah no i i haven't actually checked out the campaign i'll definitely start checking that out soon well cool well ryan we appreciate you coming on the show um this week it's definitely been um wider range of people we've had on the show first we had someone from snapchat kind of dive into what the red carpet's like then we moved someone to in the fashion industry who kind of explains how the entertainment world mixes fashion together now you um someone who's deep into the gaming industry who kind of has their own take on the world of entertainment and um i guess do you have any closing remarks or do you have any um games like you said for jam city that's coming out that we should be looking out for uh frozen 2 will be coming out later this month hopefully so everyone should go check that out awesome well thanks ryan and uh best of luck we'll be looking forward to what jam city comes out with next uh, thank you guys yep have a good one Bye. that brings us to the end of another episode of the coast to coast podcast uh kyle before we go is there anything that you've been reading or watching playing that you'd recommend to listeners out there yeah so during the halloween time i was reminiscing a bit on a lot of traditional halloween movies and i came across the newest um halloween movie it's I don't think it's technically a remake. It's just a continuation of the older ones. But um, the new Halloween movie that came out last year, a really good movie. If you haven't seen it, watch it. If you haven't seen the original Halloween movies, uh, definitely check those out. What about you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I've been trying to branch out in terms of what podcasts I've been listening to lately. Um, but I stumbled a, a, uh, across one that was really intriguing to me because I really love history. But if you've never given Dan Carlin's hardcore history a shot i'd recommend checking that out um they're not super digestible so what he does is he basically goes in depth about lesser known um like history historical events um right now i'm working my way through caesar's celtic holocaust which this podcast alone is like a six-hour podcast um so it's not for the faint of heart but it is if you're into history um really enlightening gives you kind of a perspective of the figures that take uh, part in these historical events um, and just really worth a, a listen if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, and all as always, we appreciate you all listening. Um, we are available anywhere where podcasts are, whether you're listening on Anchor, on Spotify, Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts, I think they call it now. But share it with someone who might like our content. Leave a review. Um, five stars is always great on Apple. That definitely gets us noticed and um, lets us keep doing what we'd like to do. Yes, sir. And with that, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye.